Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As I was walking out of the room, I just, I just, because I, I didn't know anything about horses and I wasn't a dancer <laughs> and I had lied and I just didn't want to lie. And so I stopped and I turned around and said, uh, so Mr. Parks, uh, you know, uh, about those horses, uh, I, I, I really, but I can learn, I can learn. I, I like horses, but I, you know, he says, he says, and I saw the frustration. He says, okay, okay. And I said, oh, and you know, that about the dancing. <laughs> Hello, friends. Welcome back to Off the Beat. I'm your host, Brian Baumgartner. Now, you don't have to ask me who you're going to call because you just heard that I am calling the incredible Ernie Hudson for today's episode. And listen, if I had ghosts, I surely would be calling his character Winston Zeddemore as well. That's right. You may know Ernie from Ghostbusters, you know, just one of the most iconic franchises of my lifetime. Or perhaps you're more familiar with him as Warden Leo Glenn from one of my favorite television shows, Oz or Elsie Duncan from The Family Business, or one of the other 250-plus projects that Ernie has acted in. No big deal. He's what they call prolific. Ernie has been gracing screens big and small for almost five decades, and I was absolutely thrilled to sit down and talk to him about his life. Let me tell you, 
he has some stories to share. Okay. Here's a couple of spoilers. His path somehow includes the Marines becoming a reserve deputy sheriff and working with several of my favorite directors from the office. With that said, I'm going to let you sit back and enjoy our conversation. Please give a warm off the beat welcome to Ernie Hudson. Bubble and squeak. I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. What's up, Ernie? Hey, what's up? What's up? How you doing? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> doing fine, man. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks so much for talking to me. Yeah, good to talk to you, man. How's it going? I'm good. I uh, We're going to discuss this a little later. We've actually worked on the same project together. I don't even know if my producers know this, but we never appeared together. So there's, okay. a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a spoiler. Alert. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> but I want to start back uh, first. You grew well, up. In- now, first off, wait, wait, wait. so what was the project? Do you know? Do you remember? Well, I was going to tell. I was going to tell you later. But okay. No, okay. That's okay. T- good. Yeah. Right. No. I'll t- I'll tell I'll tell you later. Okay. Uh, you you grew up in Michigan. Is that I right? did. Yeah. Yeah. Now was that like in the Uper or where where in Michigan? You know, I grew up in Michigan. I didn't think there was anything north of say Grand Rapids, but bears. So it took me a while to realize the people actually live there. Now I'm from southwestern Michigan, okay. right along the coast, directly across the lake from Chicago. Okay. So yeah, Benton Harbor. What about you? Are you from Michigan? No, I'm from I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, but I was uh I was just there. I was oh, just okay. I was actually okay. in Grand Rapids for the first oh, that, time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Grand Rapids is um it's a city. It's a city of all of Michigan. I think it's probably the healthiest city. Uh, I've worked uh, in northern Michigan and the upper peninsula, you know, from time to time. So I've actually been there, but it was not until much, much later. Later on. Yeah. When you were growing up, were you interested in writing stories, acting? Yeah. Yeah. With the writing. I was interested in the writing. Um, that was where I thought my career was going to go. And telling, I love telling stories. So the writing was um, a big part of it. And when I got into college, that was what I really wanted to focus on. Even though right away I started acting, I joined some groups. And whenever we were short a cast member, I would step in, you know. So, and it's it, actually because I didn't take it so serious, the acting was fun. <laughs> right. And it was never, it was never a job. <laughs> right. You know, writing became a job. And then, uh, then I, I went to Yale and they just totally destroyed my writing. So I haven't written anything worth anything since, but really, yeah, yeah. It was not a, it was not, I was talking to a young lady who I was a classmate at Yale and, um, yeah, I, I really didn't, uh, it, it wasn't a good move, but the acting again was fun and I didn't have to think about it and I still don't think about it too much. Right. So that's what I do. Well, that's that's healthy. Before before we hear how Yale screwed you up, though, you you attended Wayne State, yeah. and you became a resident playwright at Concept East, right? Which I'm told is the oldest black theater in 
in the country. It was for a long time. I'm not even sure if they're still there. The city's gone through so many changes. But for the longest time, it had been there, you know, just uh, in the community, really doing some great work. And uh, Ron Milner, who, you know, did some things on Broadway and became a well-established, Woody King, who had the new federal, they, they all came out of Concept East Theater. And so that was kind of my introduction but I was there thinking of myself as a writer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it, but you you performed some. I performed a lot. That's what I basically, <laughs> I realized that's always been, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think I felt actors weren't as um, legitimate or high on the totem pole or something. Being a writer seemed more, uh, I don't know, you know, just more something. Uh -huh. Acting did not seem like it was something that you could just say, I'm an actor, and that would be enough. You know, you I'm an actor producer, I'm an actor director, I'm an actor hyphen something, but just being an actor, which is what my life has turned into. This is all I do, it's all I know how to do. <laughs> <laughs> as you're as you're writing now, are they is Concept East, are they doing original works that you're helping to write? Well, oh, you're talking about during the time. Yeah, yeah. original works. Um, we would we had a lot of workshop stuff. So these are your plays we put on. Like I said, it was really community theater, grassroots. Yeah, and so I was writing, and they were doing little pieces, you know, little plays. Had a couple of. Uh, I was at Wayne State. Wayne State did some plays that I had written. Yeah, that was sort of where I was, you know, when I was thinking of myself but but i all always there was never a period when i wasn't acting okay and when you went to yale that was primarily to pursue writing it was yeah i got into the playwriting program there were i think only there were six in the program and i they made an exception and brought me in so i was number seven and it was, uh, I think, only like at, at yale school of drama maybe 135 students it's real small very small very small, and uh, but even then, I think the, I, I got cast in a play the first week I was there. So the acting <laughs> just always <laughs> kept trying to inform me that this is what you need to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> One of, if not your first theatrical, meaning film releases, was a co-starring role in Lead Belly. Yeah. Now how and, and that's stretching it saying co-starring. But well, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, well, I was in the film. <laughs> you were in the film. How did that come about? Now at this point are you are you solely focused on acting or how do you how do you get connected uh with Gordon Parks? No, I was um I was after my first year at Yale, a friend who I worked with doing a lot of community theater in Detroit where I got my equity card. Right. He was uh, in L.A. and he was doing a play. And when we took the summer break, uh, I went to Minnesota where my family was. I got a call. He was doing a play, wanted me in it. So I came out to L.A., was doing the play and trying to just see what I could get going, which is absolutely nothing. <laughs> and then I had a devastating meeting with an agent in Beverly Hills who told me that uh, I would never work in Hollywood, go back to Detroit. Wow. So a set of really strange circumstances kind of came together. A girl I had met at a party, I was so devastated with this agent. I mean, I really was close to tears. 
I was in actually, I, I, I was so upset and so frustrated. I went to her, went to see her and we sat and, and drank and I, I went home that night. Her dad came over and I'd left my resume there. And her dad was Gordon Parks who oh. saw the resume just by accident. But, you know, I, I set the resume that I tried to give to the agent on her piano, not consciously doing it. And when he came over to dinner, he saw my resume and photo, and he was doing a movie called Lead Belly. And so he, the studio Paramount, tried to reach out to me. It took him days because uh, I was staying at my brother's house, and my niece would answer the phone and hang up. But uh, <laughs> eventually, I got the call. And anyway, so that's kind of how things were meant to happen, apparently. So when I would have been going back to my second year at Yale, I went to Texas to shoot Lead Belly. It was a choice between school or... Or work. Or work. And, uh, you know, most of the friends who pursued the whole academic course to the end, they ended up teaching. And I, I knew I knew that much. I didn't want to be... I didn't want to teach. So that's... Um, Interesting. That's how I got into, uh, and um, yeah, Gordon Parks was amazing. I was in um, down in Austin, Texas, before it became Austin, Texas, and right, yeah, I just had a great time. Did did his daughter was she talking you up, or how? I mean, like he just he, saw it, and he saw the photo on her piano. I, you know, I don't know. I just uh, I get a call, and I was so depressed. I was so depressed because this agent had just, just took away all the confidence. I mean, I was just really, I was staying in my brother's house. Right. Uh, there really wasn't room for me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, every time we'd eat dinner, the little girl would say I was eating all the food up, so then I didn't want to eat the food anymore. Uh, my sister-in-law took my clothes to the laundromat and forgot and left them. And so I, I really had, was... You had no I, clothes. I, no clothes, basically. Um, and so when I, I went to see this agent, I borrowed my brother's, he had a kind of a blue jean jacket and pants, but my brother is about 40 pounds lighter than I am. So they really didn't fit. <laughs> and I went in to see this agent. I borrowed his car to go see the agent and I parked in a, in a parking space that they charge. In those days, nobody charged for parking. I didn't think they would charge. So when I came out, I was so devastated. And then they asked me for the money for the parking and I had no money and I just, it just all kind of, that's when I went to see her. So right. at any rate, yeah. And he just saw the picture and they, they called, uh, and I finally got the call and they said, can you be here? And I said, yeah, yeah, I can come. But I, I had no car. Right. So, so I went, ran down the street to a friend, the friend who invited me to do the play who was directing. And, uh, I just took his keys I did, you know, I said, dude, I got to take your car. I just grabbed the keys, jumped in his car, drove up to Paramount, went in to see him. And, you know, I had this, this audition. And then he said, uh, he said, I'm going to ask you, uh, he said, this is really, it's about Huddy Ledbetter. Ledbelly is, you know, his life It's really important that, um, you, is a, a race with a team of horses. And I need someone who, you know, is familiar with horses. Have you ever been around horses? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know horses. I grew up with horses. He says, okay. He says, but there's also, there's a big dance. There's a big challenge 
Lead Belly challenges Archie to this dance. And so you really, it's, you really have to do this dance. Are you a dancer? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I can, I can dance. I, I can dance. I, and then as I was walking out of the room, I just, because I, I didn't know anything about horses and I wasn't a dancer <laughs> and I had lied and I just didn't want to lie. And so I stopped and I turned around and said, uh, so Mr. Parks, uh, you know, uh, about those horses, uh, I, I, I really, but I can learn, I can learn. I, I like horses, but I, you know, he says, he says, and I saw the frustration. He says, okay, okay. And I said, oh, and you know that about the dancing, <laughs> but I can learn. He said, uh, he said, just, just wait the hallway. So then I sat in the hallway and then the producer came up to me and he said, uh, Ernie, um, Gordon, he really likes you, and I. He wants you to be in the movie. So I tell you what, we're going to pay you six hundred and five dollars a week. How does that sound? And I said, Oh yeah, sure, that'd be great. Well, the minimum was six hundred and four dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so I signed a contract for absolute the least amount they could pay me, but I I got the job. You know, what was it like being on set? Like you know, a, a movie set down there on location, first significant work. What? How, how was that experience for you? It was well. It was great. My brother, who he passed away a couple of years ago, but he did a lot of films. He did a lot of films together. He came down with me for a period. The people were great. Austin was a small. It wasn't Austin the way it is now. I just found you know the people truly amazing. I said to my brother, I said, you know, wow, man, it's like. The people here, which when we were mostly around, you know, except for the cast, white areas, because we're shooting out in the country. And I said, they're so nice, man. I mean, it's like, everybody's really, like, really cool. And he looked at me and said, yeah, try being me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're in the movie. You're one of the actors, but I'm not. And so, you know, it's a whole different ball game with me. Um, <laughs> But uh, which is usually his his complaint over the years. But yeah, you know, the problem was I also that dance was so exhausting and so strenuous. And 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 I realized that I really had to work on it. And it, and it um, they had another dancer who they brought in. I thought they were going to take my part away. Uh, Xavier came in and he was amazing. And then I thought, oh, my God, they're going to. Yeah. But they he was sort of my backup in case I couldn't do. But I, and that's when I thought, no, I'm doing this dance. I gotta, I gotta do this dance. But Roger Mosley, who was starring in it, who passed away recently in front of the producers and Gordon, he came and saw me dancing in one of the rehearsals and said, oh, I guess it's not true what they say about all black people can dance. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I was always that insecure, like I gotta get this and I gotta. Right. I didn't need my double. I did all the dancing. I drove those horses like never before. I did. I did it. But it was great. Um, yeah, it was, you know, I was making a movie and Gordon was amazing. He was a friend up until he passed away. He always called me the character's name, though. He never called me Ernie. I was always Archie. <laughs> and he uh, he called Sidney Portier and asked Sidney Portier to, to see me because Sidney was doing the project. But that didn't work out quite as well, but, but uh, yeah, it was great. It was great. I was in the movies finally. When you, when you finished that, how easy was it for you to continue to get work? Oh, it was, it was rough because like I said, Gordon had called Sydney 
Sydney had agreed to see me, but it was taking too long. I'm like, when is he going to see me? So I called. I left messages. Sydney was over at 20th Century. And so I just decided I'm just going to go there. So, <laughs> so I went to his office as he was coming out to go play golf or play tennis or something. And I, so I said, Mr. Porter, I'm Ernie Hudson, Gordon Parks. And he was so annoyed that he never worked with me. <laughs> 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 but uh, I got, I, I did a couple of TV things. I got a pilot, not that I was a regular, but I got, a, it was, it was shooting a, a series. I worked a bit, but at that point, my marriage was sort of in trouble ending. It had been in trouble a long time. I just didn't realize it. And so I left L.A. after the, that year and went to Minnesota to try to pull my family together. And, and life goes on. But, I, I, you know, I tend to run on. So if I'm running on with answers, just. No, uh, please. You know, no. It, it was just it was one of those times when you don't know what's coming next. But right. you just know that you're, you know, you're, you're holding on and you're not going to let go. Right. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. 
To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. You did get a, a number of shows and movies here and there. Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Dukes yeah, of Hazard. Yeah. The A-Team. Well, that was after I, I did some work that year, went to Minnesota and tried to pull my marriage, get the marriage totally. I realized that that everybody knew the marriage was ended except me, right. you know, but uh, finally that was over. Did the Great White Hope in Minnesota, some plays there, which were life changing for me. And when I came back to L.A. the next year, I went right to work. You went right and to work. And I never stopped working. Yeah. Where Where did you work? Did you work at the Guthrie in Minnesota? No, no. I um I I didn't work at the Guthrie. I did um the Great White Hope at the Theater in the Round. Sure. The play opened, and it was life changing. I mean, I was you know starring in it. It was the first. You know, it was I was turning thirty. I've been acting for it seemed like. 10 years. I don't know how long it, it, I have to add the years up, but a long time. And I've been trying so hard and I just felt like, you know, my marriage is ending. I had no money stuck in Minnesota. didn't even have bus fare to get back to LA. And so I did this play. And for me, the great white hope was a chance to just take everything I'd ever learned and poured into this character. It was a great character. When I was, I've never had a character like that in movies, but I just, I worked on it like, it, it was, it, I, I needed that affirmation. Right. And the play opened huge and it was a sellout and the, the the press, everything was just, it built my ego. So when I came out to LA, I was sort of riding that wave, you know, and uh, and it, it sort of carried, uh, but I needed that. So in Minnesota gave me that. I'll always be appreciative of Minnesota because it, it just, you now at the same time I was doing the Great White Hope, the University of Minnesota that I had taken some classes at, but they uh, did a, a production of a play that I wrote. And so that the writing was still kind of happening a bit, at least in my mind. But so the time I was spent in Minnesota was really very, very good. But I came out to LA and like I said, I went right to work doing TV, a lot of TV shows. Yeah. And uh, never really kind of stopped working. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? I don't know that I've talked to anybody about this, but, it can it could be something significant like your role in the Great White Hope or something sometimes very small that that confidence 
how yeah. much that helps you as you yeah. start going out and auditioning <laughs> for things. It's amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's um and I you know, in, in times I realized it was also physical. Because I used to think as kids you had to look a certain way at these guys because they look this way, then they got that or but it's really it's, it's not that. It's it's all about what you carry with you. It's all about that inner thing. And that's what people buy, you know, and when you're stressing and you're worried or you don't think you're, you know, I, I don't know. That's something that we find it, you know, it's always there, but we have to find that the courage to, to allow ourselves to be maybe a little selfish, a little arrogant, a little competent, you know, I believed with all my heart that I'm the best. There is nobody better at this right. than I have. I mean, you know. Right. It And it makes a huge difference. It does. Uh, these roles you're booking, Dukes of Hazard, A-Team, Incredible Hulk, High Cliff Manor. Are, are, you, are you happy with the roles that you're getting? Are you excited to be working? Oh, uh, yeah. I was just, I mean, I was really excited to be working. I, I was, I'm in the game now. Right. But and I assume that it's going to build to get to that role that's going to transform. And now I'm I'm on top of the game. And that was always elusive. You know, I was working, working, working. Even now at this 50 years later, you know, I kind of go, yeah, but that role I need. uh, I, I haven't had that role. I haven't had that 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 what the great white hope where I just was able to every time I did the show and went home, I was exhausted. I brought everything I knew to the work. I haven't been able to usually I get stuff like we don't need all of what you got. We just need you to do this <laughs> and then get out of the way. So the other guy can do his thing. Right. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not asked for all of me and, and I'd love to kind of like Jamie Foxx when he did Ray, I just felt like, okay, Everything that Jamie Foxx had went into that role. I haven't had that yet. And so, and, I, and I've been you know, looking for it. I assume, though, that that would come next. And it sort of never, never kind of did, you know. Roles changed, you know, early on. It was kind of the, because of physicality, you know, you know, the heavy, you know. And then I became best friends. And then I became, you know, so the work I was never locked into a thing because honestly, I was always looking for adjusting whatever I needed to do to get the role. So if I needed to be funny, if I needed to be whatever I needed to do to get the role. And uh, I have friends who there, it was a little bit more limited, but they worked because they sold this, this thing that they do. And people love that, you know, but I, I was always like, no, I got to, and I was a single dad. So that had a lot to do with, with it too. So, yeah. In 82, 83, moving into 1984, you, well, you meet Ivan Reitman and you get cast as Winston Zettimore in Ghostbusters. Tell me about your casting story. How did, how did it come about? Well, the, I, I, Henry Winkler was doing a television series he was producing at ABC called the Ryan's Ryan's four. It was about four doctors. Okay. And I got the audition and I wanted man to play a doctor on TV. That was like, I just, I had to have this role. I went in and I killed it. And they, but they said, uh, they, the ABC really liked me and the producers really liked me, but Henry was not sold on me. 
So they wanted me to go back <laughs> and audition for Henry. And so I went back in, and as I was walking into the room, and they called me in, Henry was leaving. So, and I was like, ah, oh, man. So I, and I, I went in, I did the little dance, I came out. I got a call from the agent later on saying, bad news, you didn't get Ryan's four. And I was like, ah, oh, man. But you got this movie called Adventures in the Creep Zone. Okay. shooting in vancouver and i'm like adventures in the creep zone nah, i was really depressed well adventures in the creep zone was a movie that ivan reitman would be producing okay and with uh peter strauss and molly ringwall so i i did that movie got a chance to work with ivan but the character in that movie was washington who was a guy who was sort of bigger than life my head was shaved I talked in the lower register. He was just sort of one of those kind of bombastic big guys, you know. And I think Ivan saw me that way. And so first time I heard of Ghostbusters, it was a year after uh, I'd worked with him on Space Center. And I was visiting a friend at Cedar sinai Hospital, and Ivan Reitman just happened to be there, got on the elevator. And we're riding down, and he, you know, the pleasantries. And then he says, oh, I'm. I'm doing this movie, uh, Ghostbusters, with uh, Billy and Danny, but there's nothing in it for you. He threw in there really fast, and uh, <laughs> so I said, uh, "Okay, well, that's uh, it's cool." And then I found out that uh, there was a role they were casting, looking at blacks. So, but I think at one point they saw everybody, but um, Ivan they refused to see me. So it took me probably it feels like three months. It might have been two months, I don't know, but it took me a long time to finally, my agent was able to get an audition. And that was because Ivan saw you in a certain way? I think so. He saw me in a certain way. The character I played in that movie would not work in Ghostbusters because right. he was just, you know, uh, like I said, and it was, he was over the top and, and that's what he, that's, that was the character, you know? Right. So, uh, but I went in and uh, auditioned and I thought I, um, uh, Carol Ramos was in the room, Ivan, his producers, and I I killed it. I mean, I got the script. At first, I got the script, and I thought, oh, my God, this is so amazing. If I get this role, I got to get this role. Uh, like I said, I was a single dad. The rent was due. I needed this job. I just went in. And then I got the feedback that they, they liked me a lot. They wanted me to come in and screen test. I'm thinking... But they had a camera in the room at the time. But okay, so I, w <laughs> I went back in. And then they said, well, they really liked me and they wanted me to come again. I think I did like six auditions and they still weren't satisfied. They said they were going to New York. They were going to see some actors there. And so this is going on like it just felt like forever. I made the mistake of calling um, the casting director because I just needed to know. And I said, uh, I'm 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 going to Hawaii, and I didn't want to leave town in case this was going to happen. So what's going on? And she says, "Well, you know, we'll let you know." Well, when they went to negotiate, they said, "Oh, Ernie wants a job because he's been calling casting director, and so we don't have to pay him any money because he's so desperate." And they didn't, and so, uh, but you know. It, it it worked out, but it was a it was a struggle getting the job. Right, and yeah, Ghostbusters was a probably the biggest learning experience I've had in all my fifty 
five plus whatever years I've been doing this. How? It in what a, way? Well, it was it was a struggle because it wasn't anything that I thought. You know, first I got the movie, but you're not making that much money. I mean, I'm just lucky. But the role was so amazing that I, ooh, I get this role, man. I know I'm gonna just, I'm gonna take Hollywood. And then I, we, before we start shooting, they changed the role and they took all the meat out of it. And suddenly, I'm coming in halfway through the movie, and it's like that's not what I signed up for. I took no money because it's such a great role, but now it's not a great role. And so, and uh, and then I do the movie, and then. Uh, I, I, in the movie, get ready. I'm not on the promotion. I'm not on the these three guys, and I'm not in it. And so all the things are going to happen in Hollywood didn't happen. And and I'm stuck in an apartment, and now the movie's so huge that fans are coming to my door. Right. right. <laughs> so on and on and on. So it was, but all of it was me having to go, how do I, how do I adjust? And I think that is what has helped me to sustain. How do I not be angry about this, but how do I, what's going on and how do I make peace with, and Harold Ramos was very helpful that way. Harold carried himself in a way that I thought, no matter what happens on the set, Harold is always, you know, he just knows how to navigate and I would watch him a lot. And I, I think I learned a lot just, you know, you can't lose it. When I was a kid, you make me mad, I'll do this. You can't do that and not have a career. But you can't not do it and hate yourself. You got to find a way to still feel good about who you are and still allow life to happen the way it happens. And that's what Ghostbusters taught me. Yeah. Harold directed a number of episodes of The Office, and I was lucky enough to get to know him a little bit. What a what a kind, yeah, yeah. Even keeled. That's it's really interesting. Yeah. I've never thought about it that way, but yeah, you know, he directed some probably our most complicated episode out of two hundred and six. Never, uh, never unflappable. Very yeah, calm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he. Um, I, I always sort of credit him. I mean, not taking anything away from Ivan Reitman, but. Whatever things would just get a little bit crazy, a little bit nuts, all Harold was always the one that pulled all the pieces back together. Mm. You know what I mean? He just had a, a way. And and I always considered him, I mean, we never really, well, we did hang out a little bit, but I, I just really, uh, I, I was able to tell him later on at the Austin Film Festival, they asked me to present him with an award. But he just, it meant a lot to me at that time. You know, when you're young, you get advice from friends and it's not the best advice. You get upset and they say, man, you ought to do this and you do something stupid. And then, but it was nice having someone kind of, he wasn't a mentor, but just my wife and I had been together for a number of years since before I came out to LA and we, and I had been married once. It was awful. I didn't want to marry again. And we were together, but I was kind of not committed. And it was actually Harold who was getting married at the time. But I realized that she was, they were, there was a closeness, there was a friendship. And that was what really mattered. You know, I think sometimes in Hollywood, you think you got to marry this kind of person. You know, I mean, she wasn't the right color. She wasn't the right whatever. You know, even though she's my best friend and we have this very special bond, but it's not. It's not what I need to do what I, and then 
I think it was Harold that, that uh, not from anything he said, but I'm like, yeah, that, I mean, I want someone that I'm going to spend my life with and not someone who looks a certain way or is approved by whoever. Yeah. And, uh, and I know, I don't think I ever said this to my wife, but I know that is what made me go, you know what? I don't, I don't need anybody's approval to love who I love. And, uh, my wife and I are still together now, 46, whatever he is. But to make that final step, it was, uh, just seeing Harold and his relationship with his, uh, with his wife was, was very, very special. So I learned a lot in so many ways. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a huge, obviously, I mean, this is, it's, it's almost reductive to talk about how huge the movie was. Yeah. Uh, the opening weekend set box office records at the time. It sat there for weeks being at the top. Is it, was it a blessing or a curse for you? You know, some things that seem like curses end up being blessings. So I don't know what it was. All I know is at the time, once again, I was a single dad. Right. <laughs> I need to work. And I thought, okay, this is going to open up my mood. Now I had done some movies before. I did a movie with John Candy called Going. Was it Going Berserk? I think it was Going Berserk. I'd, I'd done a few films before, but I thought Ghostbusters was going to open the door because it's what I always been told. You've been a big blockbuster movie. It means other things with a major studio. So I didn't make the money that I thought movie stars make. And, um, you know, I'm living in a neighborhood. There's no gates. There's no kind of protection here. Right. And suddenly I can't get a movie. I not, can I not get a movie. I can't even get an interview. I even Columbia who produced the movie, who would invite me to come to their parties. <laughs> were doing movies. They were doing soldier story with mostly a black cast. I couldn't get an audition. It was like everything froze up. And that was like, I didn't understand why it was wasn't until they uh, three years later, Nick Nolte was doing a movie called Weeds, and I finally got an audition, and I went in, and I and I, I just had I had to have this role, and I I got the role, and then I did I think six or seven movies back to back, and then Ghostbusters two happened, and the same thing happened, everything shut down. So I don't know, I don't know if producers thought. That somehow, I don't know what, why, I can't explain why, but it did not. And that's when I went to do a lot of TV shows, you know, because I wasn't getting filmed, which is what I wanted to do. Did you, well, but let's hope for Ghostbusters 2, they paid you a little bit more. They paid me a little bit more, but okay. uh, <laughs> good. I think I got them. I think they paid me about as much as those guys per diem was. Right. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, those guys each got 10% of the box office gross okay wow so uh so we we won't even go there right. but uh they did pay me more and it was certainly more fun winston was established but i will say and i ain't mad at nobody don't get me wrong here <laughs> but i will say that the character was cut out of half the movie again i'm like oh where's winston at i mean i opened the movie and then I disappear. And so none of that ever made sense. Still doesn't make sense. Fans are okay with it, but I, I never really understand. But, you know, now it's a different time. Jason Reitman is sort of taking over the helm. And Ghostbusters, you know, they're moving forward with it. Right. I went to, um, 
I got invited to Chicago. They had a 30-year reunion release of the movie. And so I got invited to Chicago to go to this theater and introduce the movie and the whole thing. And I get to Chicago, and I say, and it's the three guys on the... I'm like, come on, 30 years later, guys, really? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, this is true. I did the Today Show and uh, Al Roker, who's a big fan of the movie. And so they did the interview. And then they said, Ernie, we have some gifts for you. And they gave me a little bag of Ghostbusters stuff, which was two dolls, which wasn't one of mine. And then they <laughs> got a T-shirt. This is true. I'm on the Today Show. Right. They give me a T-shirt and it's four guys on the T-shirt. But it's Danny Aykroyd twice. I'm not on the T-shirt. Oh, my God. And I go, this has to be delivered. I mean, somebody <laughs> had to look at this. But, oh and I don't, know, I don't know how to react on national TV. I don't know if I say something, if I don't say something. So I didn't say anything. But I'm like, I, I, so anyway. So Ghostbusters, uh, a curse or not, I don't know. But it's uh, it's been interesting, to say the least. But the fans are amazing. They've always been very kind. Uh, I remember having a discussion with one of the executive producers and Ivan and the executive producer said, you know, the fans, they think Winston is just one of the Ghostbusters. I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) That's what I thought too, but I, anyway, uh, I love the franchise. I'm very happy. I've been, um, and then I remember Ivan saying once that, uh, he says, you know, Ernie, you worked, you work more than all the other guys. And I go, yeah, because I had to. I'm trying to make up, trying to catch up with that 10%. (laughs) If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, to live and die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. 
oldest girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Ghostbusters Answer the Call, directed by Paul Feig. Yeah. I was in that. And oh, you were. Oh, wow. So, I will tell. I will tell you the story. I will tell you the story. Very few okay. people have heard this story. I don't think I've ever told the story before, publicly. But I hope I don't get in trouble. Allison Jones, who was casting director of The Office, and Paul right. Feig, who directed a lot of episodes of The Office. I get a call. It's about seven o'clock at night, and from Allison Jones, direct. Right. I think directly to me. We were friends, and she said. So there's this little part. It's going to be something bigger. It happens at the absolute climax of the movie. Paul said he needs you in the movie. And I said, okay, okay. You know, there's, and she goes, there's not much there. He wants to improv. He wants to do all this stuff on set. He needs you to come to Boston tomorrow. The first flight of the day. And I'm like, what, wait, tomorrow. <laughs> and I said, Okay. And I said, how long will I be there? And she said, I don't know. <laughs> so I get, this is one moment. I mean, this is one moment in the movie. Right. And so I fly, I fly to, I like 5.30 in the morning, I'm getting up. I fly to Boston. I'm there. And it is the climax of the movie. You got them swinging around, ghosts coming up. All the ladies are there. Everything. And basically what happens is I come out in my bathrobe, deadpan a joke, get killed by a ghost, and then that's it. <laughs> but because it was that, there were all of these elements. We shot the same scene for like 
two and a half weeks that kept getting interrupted by rain. I think I was there about a month <laughs> and, um, and I was, I was, I was cut from the movie. Now I'm back in, I think in the extended cut, but I was cut. That's my Ghostbusters experience as well. So, well, if you were there for a month, you made a whole lot more than I did because they were like, <laughs> we want you in the movie. And, uh, and I'm like, guys, uh, you make it seem like I'm asking you to be in the movie. Right. Stuff, but so, yeah. but you're, you're not a ghostbuster. You're the uncle to the, I'm like, really? Cause it didn't make any sense to me, but I, I love all the, first of all, let me say, I enjoy the movie and I love all the ladies. They're all incredibly funny. Yes. I think they would have been a lot funnier if they weren't trying to be a version of us, but that's another story. Right. But, um, but yeah, I did not understand what I was doing and they were, uh, the offer was so ridiculous. I thought, I'm not jumping up and down to necessarily go to work for you. So right. you got to at least make it interesting. So, <laughs> right. but, I, I, but I love Paul. I enjoy, I, you know, I enjoy working with him. I never worked with him before. Right. And now after Afterlife, this is, it's all, it's just coming back. And this is, yeah. this franchise it's, is coming. Okay. And you're happy about so. this. I'm very happy. But well, I mean, in the, um, uh, the end of the movie, you know, they do the credits. And so Winston has now done very well in life. And so I think he's connected. When we had the scene and I said something about, you know, the ghost buses. My wife says, yeah, but just we were talking. She says, yeah, well, you're a businessman, but, you know, you'll always be a ghost buster. And I'm like, OK, so I. I threw that line in at the end. So it's, so hopefully uh, I'll always be a ghostbuster. And uh, I know they're there. Jason is writing the new script. I understand Sony has approved it. That's my understanding. I don't know. Right. But I, I hope if there is, uh, I'll be in it. And they'll be happy to have me enough to where it shows up in my bank account. But uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. I never, you know, this was, I never take anything for granted. Or, or assume I'm just very happy to still be, you know, able to, you know, hang out, talk to guys like you, man. I love, yeah. I love your work. You know, oh. you just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. So, oh, well, this is a blessing. Thank you so much. I, I'm such a big fan of yours. I have to ask you about one of my favorite shows. I don't know what this says about me. You, you know, you, you talked to me earlier about well, that you're a, a bit of a chameleon in a way, and that that your performance is not based on a persona that you have created that people want to see over and over, but it's about the character. Right. And I have to mention, I mean, obviously, it's a little bit of time after Ghostbusters, but you getting cast in Oz. Oh yeah. yeah. As as w Warden Leo Glenn, were you excited about that opportunity, being able to do something different? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I tell you what excites me. When people come to me and say, we love your work, we're doing this, and we'd like to have you come and work and play with us. That means so much. When I got to go and audition, and and I, I don't even want to, not actually at this stage in my life, I don't even do it anymore. It's like, you know what, right. guys, honestly, I'm, unless it was a role that was so amazing. So uh, Tom Fontana, was uh, the senior writer, producer on St. Elsewhere, you know, the series Denzel was on it and uh, it ran for a while. I did a half season during the summer that the second Ghostbusters was on and we would talk a while, but I got a call from him saying he was doing this series Oz to place in a prison 
And um, he says, you know, we always talked about working together. I didn't remember that, but I said, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, "Uh, you know, and so I'm doing this and, uh, you know, would you like to come? And I'm like, yeah. You know, the fact that he cared enough to invite me, that meant so much. And I love the character, but I was amazed at the uh, the actor, the cast, the people. I still, uh, I just, they showed up. And, you know, when you're working with a group of people and they show up, you have to show up. Yes. I mean, I, and I love that. That's how they should cast things. Never cast, sometimes they'll cast down. They'll think the actor's kind of weak and so they don't want anybody else. But, it's, but it's, it was just a great cast and I'm so thankful to have been a part of it. And... In fact, I just worked with Tom Fontana and that whole production crew on a series called City on a Hill with uh-huh. um, Eldis Hodge and um, and Kevin Bacon. And it was so much fun to go and, and see those guys again. That's awesome. Uh, your son appeared yeah. in Oz with you, yes? Yeah, yeah. My son, uh, who did some acting for a, a while, he's now... Sometimes he produces things, but he's into business education. Uh, he does. I don't know what he does, <laughs> but he uh, he's only dabbles a bit. But he was in the uh, one of the seasons of Oz, and it was yeah, it was great. I think he had a great time. You know, it kind of reminded me in this at the end of that season, he gets killed, and mm. so my character has to go in and look at the body. And I remember when he was a little kid, he would say, Dad, you know, if you're going to die in a movie, tell me, because I don't want to see that. I don't, you know, I just, I don't want to see you die in a movie. And so then it was kind of reversed. And so I'm going in there and I'm kind of looking at him like he's dead. And it was so weird. But, but he was, uh, he was wonderful on the, on the series. And yeah, it was, it was cool. Yeah. So I have to ask you about this. I heard uh, you, you play a warden in Oz a senior deputy officer in 10-8 officers on duty, yeah. a detective later on in desperate housewives. You actually became a real life reserve deputy sheriff yeah. in San Bernardino County. How did this come up, come about? What was, what was this about? Well, I was uh, asked to do a, a ghostbuster after the first ghostbusters, I would go to schools, and 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 talk to kids, you know, and make them honorary Ghostbusters. It was kind of a nice okay. thing to do. I got invited to a school in Pasadena. I agreed to go. They put me up at a hotel to spend the night. Got up that morning, did the little thing, checked out of the hotel. The staff comes over. They want me to sign autographs, which is, and I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about, you know, this nice thing that I did. I walk out, go into the garage. I walk into the garage. I'm grabbed. Suddenly, from behind, these guys, are, they throw me to the ground. This guy got a chokehold on me. I'm looking around, trying to figure out what's going on. I, something's saying, don't fight back. I'm looking at these boots. And now it's about 14 cops. And I'm on the ground. And I, 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 I just kind of, and then I hit, they're talking. And the guy says, holy shit, that's that guy. That's the guy. You know, the guy, that's the, the Ghostbuster guy. And the guy who's holding me sort of, jerks my head around and looks me in the face and he says, oh man, he says, oh, oh man, he says, I'm sorry about that. So then they stand me up and I'm like, what's going on? Like, so they dust me off and they're talking, but I'm trying to make sense out of this. I'm insulted. I feel like I should have, I should have fought it, but I could, they're police. And then they said, uh, I said, what, why did, 
They said, well, oh, man. They said, you know, there was a, a robbery. This kid robbed a, a store. I'm, at that point, I'm damn near 50 years old. What? This kid robs the thing, and I fit the description. How did I fit the description? I just walked through the door. So they said, do you mind if we get an autograph? And I'm like, uh, no. I. So I get in my car, and I'm just, I I hate myself because I didn't. I, 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 it just, it was just, ugh. Anyway, I was living in uh, up in the mountains, Lake Arrowhead, and a friend of mine who was part of the police department, they ran a special community thing, and I, and I told him the story. He said, Ernie, he said, you know what? You need, a, you need to get a badge. He says, why don't you join, become a deputy sheriff, whatever, and, and we're, in fact, we'll make you a sergeant. <laughs> so <laughs> I got a sergeant's badge from the San Bernardino department, and you have to go and take the training and qualify and all that. So I did, but I did it primarily so I would have me a sheriff's badge if I ever got stopped. <laughs> I could say, check my shield. And it, and it got me out of, uh, I bought a new Porsche once and I literally was driving this Porsche 115 miles an hour on a stretch on the 101 freeway. And I thought, oh my God, this thing is fast. And I look back and I see these lights. Oh no. And I go, oh. And then the first thought was, he can't catch me. I can outrun these guys. I mean, I'm in a, I'm in a new Porsche. I'm, and then I thought, nah. So I, I pull over, and he pulls up, and he's pissed. I mean, he's really, I, he's just really. So he comes up, and uh, he says, your license. And I, I would have it so when I open my wallet, you see the badge with my license. Right. And he looks at it, and he says, I guess I'm working in, a, in the wrong department. And he walks away. So I was in Australia. I did a wrong U-turn. I showed the badge. But then I started getting fans who would say, this happened. They came in my home. They got the wrong place. They beat all these horror stories. And so eventually I just gave the badge back and said, you know what, guys? I, I, can't, I can't represent because it's just too much going on. And um, so I don't have it anymore. But um, okay. that's my, that's the honest. That's the honest story. I, I, I did a, a Steve Harvey show once and uh, I was telling him I was in, he said, you're chef tomorrow. I said, yeah. So I said, but I took the training. I learned a lot. He said, what'd you learn? How did, how they can kick your ass some more? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, that's, that's why. Uh, well, I mean, look, your, your career has been truly uh, unbelievable. Uh, I mean, you're you're still now, fifty years later, acting in shows, Bones, Law and Order, Secret Life of the American Teenager, Modern Family. I want to ask you about becoming Lily Tomlin's love interest in right. Grace and Frankie. I, I heard you were a fan of hers and of Jane Fonda. Is that right? Uh, you know what? When I first started this business, they were already established. Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda, she's always been established. Right. I mean, you know, it's first they asked me, they said want to be Jane Fonda's love interest. And I'm like, well, there's a little difference age wise, I think. I don't know. <laughs> but I got Barbarella, that poster in my right. mind. I'm like, okay, I can I can work with that. <laughs> and then they said, No, uh, we want you to be Lily Thomas' love interest. Now, all I can see of Lily Thomas is that big rocking chair, you That's know, right. with a bit, you know. Yes. So, uh, but when I met Lily, she's so lovely, and I just, uh, I, but I've been a fan of theirs. Um, I'd worked with Sam uh, Watterson, 
for on uh, Law and Order. Yep. I've done a season of that, but but I, I just love Lily and Jane. They're all amazing people. It was just uh, yeah, it was just a pleasure. Lily, so amazing, and she has a spirit that reminds me of my grandmother who raised me. There was something about her in, integrity, just about, and yet she's so down to earth. But when you say to a woman, you remind me of my grandmother, it's not, <laughs> it's not the best thing, but she, she just, she's an amazing person, wonderful actress. I, I just, uh, it was a real blessing to, and what I loved about that show was a lot of times they'll want me to be, you know, you mentioned the detective thing. So I got to be tough. I got to be something that doesn't feel natural. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, I love telling stories but it has to be true to the character for me to be able to play a character that was close, that I didn't have to be the bad guy or the, it's just, he was just a guy who liked this kind of quirky woman and it opened the door to a whole new kind of fan base. I mean, uh, yeah. Older women suddenly, um, started asking for autographs <laughs> with the ghostbuster kids. Right. Know? Right. Like, <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me i i have long admired your work and thank you uh, consider thank you. it uh, it's such a pleasure i wish you nothing but the best moving forward i know you've got quantum leap out you've got you're just you 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 don't stop working ernie and i love it I well love thank it. you so much man i, I you know it, well it's it's mutual man i really appreciate you appreciate the work you're doing heard about your record setting cameos oh, but well, uh that's yeah, uh, <laughs> that's, yeah. <laughs> i mean so, how does he do that e- i don't know how to e- do that you e- know everybody's uh, <laughs> got to be good at something everybody's got to be good at something but uh but no i appreciate you man good luck i, I wish we had had more time to sort of hang out like i said these schedule these no, things but no worries but thank you thank, thank you, you for taking the time uh, quantum leap i should again mention that it's on nbc monday nights family business is on bt plus so fun um, what a fun character that is yeah it's yeah so it's all good take good care and uh, i'm always around man so we get a chance to. we'll talk to you soon look forward to it thanks ernie all right thank you all right bye-bye ernie it was so great talking to you and getting to know you Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, I could have talked to you all day. I am in awe of your career. And just promise me this, okay? The next movie that we're in together, let's actually appear in some scenes together, okay? Listeners, thank you for stopping by. It is always a pleasure getting to spend some time with you. Come back next week. I promise I'll do my best to interview effectively an amazing guest. Now, can you guess who it's going to be? Because I'll never tell, but I'll see you soon. Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our producers are Diego Tapia, Liz Hayes, Hannah Harris, and Emily Carr. Our talent producer is Ryan Papa Zachary, and our intern is Sammy Katz. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend, Creed Bratton.
The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 